Well, welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. Again, we're glad to have you, glad that you're spending your morning with us. Now, as we read last week, Paul reminded the Galatian Christians of the identity that God has given them and how exactly they got it. They didn't become children of God and bearers of the Holy Spirit by getting circumcised or by performing any other work of the Old Testament law. It was by faith in Christ, not by proving themselves worthy. And the invitation to believe in Christ is extended to everyone because everyone needs God's grace. Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, all are invited into the family. Anyone who believes in Christ can be saved, no matter their background, their sins, or their baggage. Now, this conflicts with the message that the Galatian Christians are hearing from other teachers, namely the Judaizers. The Judaizers state their argument very clearly in Acts chapter 15, verse 1. They say there, unless you are circumcised according to the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. The Judaizers wrongly taught that a person could only gain access to the family of God and only remain in the family of God if they were circumcised, if they obeyed the Old Testament law. Now, the things that were true for the Galatian Christians in 50 A.D. are also true for Christians like us in 2018 A.D. We aren't saved by works either. Whether we're talking about Old Testament works of the law, or whether we're talking about modern works that we tend to value a little bit more. Works like morality, or charity, or honesty, or any other virtue that we try to muster up. We aren't saved by those things. We are saved by faith in Christ. Paul makes it clear that faith in Jesus is the prerequisite. If you believe in Christ, the sinless, suffering servant, the Son of God who died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead. If you believe in him, then you're part of the family. It was true for Jews, it was true for Gentiles, and it's still true for us. But as we move forward in the book of Galatians, we're going to continue hearing Paul talk about Christian identity. By God's grace, Christians have been given a new identity. God has declared us justified by faith in Christ. We who were once enemies of God because of our sin are now friends of God because of his grace. We who were once spiritual orphans are now redeemed sons and daughters in God's family. And that, of course, is good news. That is the good news that we've been preaching and teaching and proclaiming for centuries. But this new identity isn't just something that God says about us. It's not just a label that we are given. This new identity shapes how we live. It transforms us. It leaves us permanently changed. And Paul wants to burn that reality into our minds so that we won't forget who we are and how we got there. So that we won't return to our old identity and our old way of life. Because in Galatia, that was a very real temptation, returning to the old identity. And it's a temptation for Christians today as well. So open up to Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. While you're at it, open up to Romans chapter 8, verse 12. 
You're thinking right now, I knew I should have splurged on the Bible with two bookmarks. So open up to those two passages. We're going to read both. Feel free to use the Bibles that we have here if you didn't bring one, and take a Bible home with you if you don't own one. So I'm going to start reading those passages, and then we'll pray. Starting in Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. And now Romans chapter 8, verse 12. You'll see some similarities here. See if you can pick up on them. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time of worship. Thank you for the time we have together as a church family. Thank you for the guests that are among us. I pray we'd be loving and hospitable and welcoming. And Father, thank you for the privilege that we have to worship you, to open your word, to take communion, to be reminded of who you are and to be reminded of who we are. I pray that we would never forget those things. Father, give us clarity, give us understanding. Give us wisdom, give us humility as we read your word. I pray this word would sink into our bones and that, Father, we would leave here changed with a deeper desire to know you and glorify you. Thank you that we can call you Father because of what your Son has done for us. Thank you that we are saved by your grace through faith in him. We love you, we praise you, we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, last week, Paul compared sinners before Christ came to mischievous children. And today, he does the same thing. But then he also compares us to heirs. I mean, think about it. Children, whether they're poor slave children or rich heir children, 
need to be restrained, watched, and managed so that they don't get into too much trouble. We talked about that last week. And the law was really good for restraining and guarding and babysitting sinners. The law was really good for keeping us out of more trouble than we could have gotten into, whether we were Gentiles or Jews. That's one of the biggest reasons God gave the law. But the problem is that the law wasn't good for saving sinners. Of course, it was never meant to be. But of course, as time moves on, there comes a point where a child no longer needs to rely as much on other people. There comes a point where babysitters, guardians become a little bit less necessary. Well, in the same way, the time has come where sinners like us no longer need to rely on the law the way we used to. Because Christ has lived, Christ has died, and Christ has risen. The Old Testament law can still be helpful in numerous ways. But the truth remains that we now have the Holy Spirit to guide us. He can guide us away from idolatry and away from sin and into worship and into righteousness. Thus, we are no longer slaves. We are heirs of God's promises. We are no longer just troublesome children. We are God's sons and daughters. We know him and we have been known by him. And this is all thanks to Christ. But if that's all true, then why would someone ever want to go back to their old identity, their old way of life? We have God as our loving Father. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. We have Christ as our victorious Savior. And what could possibly be better than that? Why would anyone ever want to give that up or leave that behind? Well, somehow, some way, the Judaizers, the false teachers... They've tricked the Galatian Christians into thinking that their new identity in Christ, their new way of life in Christ, isn't good enough. The Judaizers have convinced them that something is missing. There's a hole that needs to be filled. And the Judaizers have wrongly promised them that returning to reliance upon the law will fill that hole. And it will complete their salvation that, as of right now, is still a little bit lacking. So Paul worries out loud that all his hard work, all his ministry, all the sermons he preached about the sufficiency of Christ to save sinners, Paul's worried that it might prove to have been a waste. So take back a moment, step back a moment, and imagine two people. Two different people. One of them grew up in a legalistic church, taught that God's love for them depended completely on their ability to follow the rules. That's person number one. The other person grew up without any church influence at all. They knew absolutely nothing about God. Well, the truth is that both people are separated from God, even if it's for different reasons. The first person may know a lot about God. They may know a lot about the Bible, but they haven't truly grasped God's love for sinners. And the second person simply doesn't know anything about God to begin with. But then let's say eventually both of these people end up going to the same church. And this church preaches the gospel to them in all its beauty and all its fullness. And for the first time, both of these people come to know God in all of his glory. 
They can call God their father. They know Christ has taken the penalty for their sin. They know they've received the gift of the Holy Spirit. But why would either one of these people ever want to return to their old identity and their old way of life? It would be heartbreaking to watch, wouldn't it? Well, perhaps that's how Paul feels about the Galatians right now. They're returning to the things that once separated them from knowing God and being known by him. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 20, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In that passage, Paul reminds people that you were once slaves to sin, but now you are free to serve God. You were once getting nothing out of your old identity. Nothing out of your old life. It was leading to nothing but death. So why would you ever want to go back to that? And the same is true for us. Why would we ever want to return to who we were before we met Christ? We now have the joy and the privilege to be slaves and servants of God instead of being slaves and servants of our sin. How could we ever come to believe that Christ isn't enough for us? Why would we go back to the things that once separated us from God and lead only to destruction? And yet, sadly, we've probably all seen it happen, whether to ourselves or to others around us. We probably all have stories of seeing fellow believers fall into old sins, fall into false teachings that they should know better than to believe, or fall into old forms of idolatry and rebellion. And we see these people fall, and we know that they're just going back to slavery. And it breaks our hearts, as it should. And Paul agonizes over this possibility with the Galatians. We see it in Galatians chapter 4, verse 12. You can just hear the emotion in Paul's words. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. On a quick side note, if you've ever read 2 Corinthians, there's that famous passage about the thorn in Paul's side. How Paul has some type of weakness, some type of problem, some type of frustration that causes him constant annoyance. And he begs God to take it away from him. And God says, no, my power is made perfect in your weakness. There have been lots of theories over the years about what that thorn in Paul's side was. What was he referring to? Well, one theory is that Paul might have had some type of ailment with his eyes. Maybe not to the point of blindness, 
but some type of ailment with his eyes that caused him major frustrations throughout his life and throughout his ministry. And this passage is one of the reasons why that theory exists. So we don't know for sure, but that could be what's going on. Then we see him continue in verse 16. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone. For I am perplexed about you. I love this passage because it gives us an up close and personal look at Paul's love for these people, his shepherd's heart. Paul was not some ivory tower intellectual, holed up in his study, doing nothing but writing theology. He was a pastor, and he poured his heart, soul, blood, sweat, and tears into the lives of these people. The lives of the people that God entrusted to his care. He reminds them of all the memories they've made together. The ways they've suffered together. The ways they've served together. The ways they've lived together as God's people. Now even though some of Paul's words in this letter have been sharp. There's no denying that. Paul is not writing this letter out of rage. He's not writing it out of jealousy. He's not writing it out of some obsession to win an argument. Paul is writing this letter because he loves these people more than he loves himself. And he certainly loves these people more than the false teachers do, who are just trying to take advantage of them. And just know this. Part of the reason that church leaders love their people is so that when times like these come, when members of the flock need to be warned or maybe even rebuked, The hope is that the love that we've shown you will overcome the initial reactions of defensiveness and hurt feelings and anger. And I pray that's the case here at Prairie View. I pray that if there ever comes a time when our church's leaders come to you with a hard truth or come to you with some kind of tough love, that before you get angry or defensive or simply run away, I pray that you would remember how much we love you. And I pray that before that time comes, we will have already proven our love for you. That we will have earned that credibility. That we will have earned that right to talk to you before you run away. We love you because we care about you. And we love you for times like these. And Paul clearly loves these people. Paul takes it personally when his flock is going astray. And so do we. And that's why Paul wrote this letter. But let's continue to verse 21. Paul says there, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, 
and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that, that, yeah, just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. This is a notoriously difficult passage to interpret. I've had several people over the past couple of weeks come to me and say, you know, Galatians, I just never really could get quite into it. It just always confused me. I just never had a good feel for it. Well, passages like these are probably why you feel that way. Now, part of the reason it's difficult is because, to be honest, Paul takes some artistic liberties as he makes this analogy. That's part of why allegories can be dangerous. There is a long history of pastors and theologians butchering scripture by trying to make something into an allegory, looking for secret meetings and hidden connections when they simply aren't there. But Paul gets away with it here because, well, he's Paul. You and I aren't Paul. Christians believe that Paul's writing with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit at his back. So there must be something helpful in these verses. So confident of that, I think we can come up with something good. Now, I'm sure all of you remember everything we talked about in Genesis back at the beginning of the year. It's probably all very fresh in your minds. But if not, this is a quick refresher. So in Genesis 16, Abraham's wife, Sarah, is starting to get anxious. She and Abraham aren't getting any younger, and they still don't have the child that God promised them. So Sarah hatches this plan for Abraham to sleep with her servant, Hagar, and impregnate her. Sure enough, the plan works, and Ishmael is born. But then as it turns out, God is faithful to his promises after all, even if it takes a little bit longer than they wanted. Sarah does get pregnant, and Isaac is born. But then naturally there's tension and animosity between Sarah and Hagar. And there may have even been some between Ishmael and Isaac, the two boys. But eventually Sarah commands Abraham to kick Hagar and Ishmael out of the family. God takes care of Hagar, takes care of Ishmael, and he becomes the father of many descendants of his own many of him who would cause major problems for Israel down the road. Now, in the end, Sarah comes off looking bad in the story, but she is right about one thing. Sarah's right that Isaac is the child of promise and Ishmael isn't. That's Paul's main point as well. Isaac was the child of promise. Ishmael wasn't. And he says that if you rely on anything other than Christ. For salvation, whether it's the Old Testament law, the false gods that we're so often tempted to worship, or our own attempts at living a good life, then Paul says you are going the way of Ishmael. You are leaving the chosen family of God, and you have no blessing and no inheritance to look forward to. 
Because if the only way to gain access is to God's family is through faith in Christ, but then you decide that faith in Christ simply won't cut it, then your place in the family is no more. So Paul reminds the Galatians and reminds us yet again of who we are. We are like Isaac. We are children of promise, not children of judgment. We are chosen sons and daughters, not cast out orphans. We are heirs of salvation and not slaves of sin. And again, that is all because of Christ, the one who in the fullness of time lived, died, and rose to redeem us. And Paul is looking at the Galatians, and he's looking at you, and he's looking at me, and saying, don't you dare forget that. Don't you dare forfeit that. Don't you dare return to your identity before Christ. Don't you dare return to your life before Christ. Paul says that those born according to flesh will persecute those born according to promise. There are people in this world who will try to drag you back to your old identity. They'll try to drag you back to your old way of life before Christ. They'll question whether or not you were really saved. They'll try to cast doubt in your heart and in your mind that God could possibly save someone like you. And you should just go back to the way things were before. But don't listen to them. Even though it may be tempting sometimes, it simply isn't worth it. Now it's true, your life before Christ may have been easier in some ways. There might be things that you had to give up along the way that you kind of sort of miss if you're being totally honest. There may be little parts of your identity that you left behind that you would kind of like to recover. You may look back at your old way of life, your old identity with a little bit of nostalgia, selectively remembering only the fun parts. But in the end, it will only leave you disappointed both here and in eternity. It will only enslave you. Paul certainly didn't want to go back. In Philippians 3, like he did in Galatians chapter 1, Paul recounts his old life before he came to know Christ. He had it all. He was on top of the Jewish world. But as he looks back now, when he compares his old life to the beauty and glory of Christ. Paul looks at it and says, you know, it was all loss. It was all rubbish. If there's anyone in this world who could have dared trust in his own righteousness, could have dared say that, you know, I don't think I need Christ for salvation. I think I got it figured out on my own. If there's one person who could have dared say that, it was Paul. But Paul looks back and says, you know, I would have been an absolute fool to do so. And so would you. And so would I. Now, of course, Paul isn't perfect. He recognizes that he still has a long way to go as he grows up in Christ. But he says in Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. But I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it on my own. But one thing I do, 
forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul refused to go back to who he was before he met Christ. And I pray that we would refuse as well. Let's remember who God has declared us to be. Let's remember who God is making us to be. And let's remember the inheritance that we have to look forward to. And may we remember that it all came thanks to Christ. No one or nothing else. May we leave our old identity, our old sins, and our old idols behind where they belong. And instead, look ahead. Look forward to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That God has so graciously given us. That God has so graciously blessed us with. May we look ahead. Keep our eyes focused on that at all times. And never return to our old ways and our old identity that only led to death and only led to destruction. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for your word, including passages like these, passages that warn us not to return to who we were before we met your son. It is an act of grace that you give us these warnings because these warnings are the very things that keep us from returning to that old identity, that old way of life. So, Father, thank you for that. And I pray that you'd be with us as we prepare to leave this place. I pray that the worship we've participated in this morning, the worship that we've offered you this morning, would please you and glorify you and build us up, but that it would also stay with us in the week ahead. Wherever we go, whatever we're doing, whoever we're with, that it would all be an act of worship to you. Father, thank you for your kindness and your mercy and your grace that you have called us to, that you have so generously given to us. Father, I pray that we would embrace who we are in Christ and never look back to who we were before. May we remember what you've saved us for, and may we remember what you've saved us from. We love you, we honor you, we worship you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.